from James 1, 1 to 4. This letter is from James, a slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm writing to the 12 tribes, Jewish believers scattered abroad. Greetings. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow, for when their endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Mandy, for sharing the scripture with us today. Thank you, James. Wow. Thank you for your heart for this ministry. Uh, that, that video hit me pretty hard. Uh, 40 million people in slavery. Billions of dollars of trafficked because of this. this wow. So thank you, and, and it's an encouragement for us to pray. Go back to the table afterwards. Uh, if your heart's been stirred and touched, go and talk to James and see how you can, you can be involved. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you uh, for this morning. What a privilege to be here. We sense the presence of your spirit here this morning. We're so grateful. And Lord, um, thank you for this powerful reminder by video today. Lord, of the persecuted church uh, around the world, of slavery around the world, beyond. It, it's so foreign to us, Lord. We live in such a free country, and we don't see this in our neighborhood uh, to any extent. But, Lord, around the world, it's horrendous. And so we, we ask your blessing, and, and, Lord, on this organization and uh, upon Christians, upon the church, as we take our place in the world to serve you. Bless your word now, Father. Thank you for it. It's so precious. And I, I thank you for the privilege of looking at it today in Jesus' name. If you happen to be here this morning and you weren't here last Sunday, you may not know that we've just launched a new series of messages uh, called Keeping It Real from the book of James. Uh, last Sunday we took the time to sketch a, a little bit of the background of the letter as well as the identity of the writer uh, the letter is written to both a suffering church and a scattered church. I, I'm sure slavery would be very much part of uh, what James was thinking of as well. Um, and for whatever all the, the wiles were of that day. The writer is James. The opinion of uh, most uh, scholars is that this is the half-brother of Jesus. Uh, James moved through his uh, childhood with some skepticism towards uh, Jesus, his half-brother, he sat around the table with uh, Jesus, um, and, but he wasn't sure about who he was until after the resurrection, Jesus appeared to him, and in that encounter with James, uh, James's life was forever transformed. James went on to be a very influential leader in the early church, in fact, becoming a leader, the leader of the Jerusalem Council. Historical sources, Josephus and Eusebius, agree that uh, James was probably martyred for his faith around 65 AD, somewhere in that period of time, and probably martyred by the Jewish religious leaders in Jerusalem. So that's a little bit of the context and, and the writer. Remember the old song, Nobody Knows the Trouble I've Seen? 
Nobody knows but Jesus. Remember who the singer of that song was? Louis Armstrong. Louis Armstrong. Uh, and you can't forget that voice. Oh my, one of a kind. But it reminds me of James, uh, especially these first four verses. So I trust you'll dial into these verses with me this morning, either with your Bible or on your smartphone. It says, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. Consider it an opportunity for great joy. As one writer so aptly put it, not all of the bruising in life takes place on our skin. Some of the deepest bruising strikes us down inside. They hit us in the everydayness of life. We're bruised because of disappointments. We're bruised over the death of a loved one. We're bruised over our children, our siblings, our parents who go through great stuff, trials. We're also bruised on the outside. Physical pain bruises us, sickness, disease, afflictions. We're bruised by people and by circumstances. We're bruised by the hurts that just come in the daily, uh, everydayness of life. We're, we're, we're bruised by the circumstances that we find ourselves in as we travel through the seasons of our lives. Someone has said that if you were to trace the journeys of Paul in the first century, it would be like tracing the path of a wounded game as he was running from the hunter. The Bible is filled with stories and stories of, and illustrations of people who went through the challenges of life facing many troubles and many afflictions uh, just like we do and just like we will. I've come to appreciate the wise words of Martha Schnell Nicholson and have often referred to this poem. It says, Pain knocked upon my door and said that she had come to stay. And though I would not welcome her, but bade her go away, she entered in like my own shade. She followed after me, and from her stabbing, stinging sword, no moment was I free. And then one day another knocked most gently at my door. I cried, no, pain is living here. There is no room for more. And then I heard his tender voice, tis I, be not afraid, and from the difference he entered in, ah, the difference that it made. James writes to make a difference. He, he gets it. He understands the suffering that his brothers and sisters are going through. But he wants them to remember the difference that Jesus makes. And so he wants to come to their rescue and say, eyes back on Jesus. James was writing to a scattered bunch of followers of Christ who were trying to find their way amidst many troubles, much pain, and they were just struggling under the load. So what does he have to say? Three short verses. Number one, troubles invite themselves into every life. Troubles invite themselves into every life. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. One thing I know about owning a house is that every June I get a bill for the taxes. And it comes faithfully every June. It costs money every year to own a house. It seems like it costs more every year. The next year is a little more and the next year is a little more. But at least I can plan for it because I do know it's coming. It's not if it's coming, 
It's when it's coming, and I actually know precisely when it's coming. It's coming in June for us. The other thing we know for sure is that death is a reality. It's not uh, an if for any person alive. It's just a matter of when. Uh, ever since the first man and woman, our world has experienced the cycle of life and death. It's inevitable it's going to happen. At least we can prepare ourselves for it because it's going to happen. But during our lifetime, we also have uninvited guests. And they're called troubles. And they're inevitable. And they come. Ready or not, they come. Ever play dodgeball? The goal is to knock everybody out of the circle by throwing the ball at them and hitting them. And when the ball hits you, you're out. That ball called trouble is fired at us all through life. You're not skilled enough to dodge all the balls that come your way. No matter how good you are at dodging, you can't dodge them all. Inevitably, the troubles will find their target, and you are the target. And they will hit all of us. I read the story of a man who had a busy day with people. Uh, he had gone out for a business lunch, and he'd ate too much. Sometimes you've got to watch what you eat at lunchtime that you don't overeat because you've got to go back to work again. Well, he overate, uh, and the, the rest of the afternoon he was feeling kind of dizzy and kind of bloated, and his stomach was upset. And when it was time to go home, he got on the subway, and he was already prone to a little bit of motion sickness, but uh, because the train was so full, he was standing by the doorway of the train, and he was looking down at the as the train sped along 70 miles an hour, and he's looking at the ground, which, of course, tended to make him all the more sick. Uh, and so the train came to a stop. The door opened for a moment. There's a guy waiting on the platform, ready to get on the train. But when the door opened, the man with the upset stomach suddenly lost his lunch. And out it came all over the guy who was about to board the, the train. <laughs> and then the doors closed. And the train sped off. And the guy on the platform, covered with the other guy's lunch, turned around and said to all the people behind me, Why me? Why me? Of all the people that had to be in line, why was it me? And often that's our question throughout the journey of life. Why me? What did I do to deserve this? And often it's not anything you did at all. It's not payback time. It's just that these are the inevitabilities of life. That's the world we live in. That's the fallen world that we live in. What do you do when you can't dodge the ball? If you've just exited a trial and you say, oh, glad that one is done, don't be shocked because the next one will arrive soon. They come with living in an imperfect world. We all know it. Can we put the spotlight on the word troubles for a minute? You might be reading trials in your translation. The word is parismos, which is an interesting word because it's the same word if you go down to verse 19 when we begin to talk about temptations. It's the same word. So you might say that it's the trials or troubles or temptations or the adversities that provide a testing uh, toward an end. In other, in other words, they have some purpose. They actually have some purpose for us if we cooperate with them. They don't seem to have a lot of purpose if we don't cooperate with them. And wow, did these early Christians have it coming at them. 
They lost their homes. They had to flee. Of course, they lost their jobs. They lost their security. Uh, they lost their, their sense of uh, uh, oneness within a community. And, and this was not just, well, isn't that con- in, inconvenient? No, this was survival. They were separated from their family. They were separated from their friends. Remember that old movie that was called Fugitive? And, and, and the guy is always on a run. He's on the run. He, he, he can never stop. That's these early Christians. They're always on the run. They can't stop. They're being persecuted. It says, troubles of any kind. Now, the other translations might say uh, various kinds of troubles, various kinds of trials. Uh, they come in the variety pack. You know, when we have our, our grandchildren over and they stay overnight, what they want in the morning is that variety pack of cereal, you know, those little boxes, all packages, there's about 12 in them, and they like to be able to choose from them. That's called the cereal variety pack. That's the package that trouble comes in. Uh, l- little boxes, sometimes bigger boxes throughout life, and lots of variety. Because you never know which flavor is coming next. And those boxes are unannounced. You get what you get. Some trials come from cause and effect. In other words, we reap what we sow. If you, if you follow in that course of action, there's going to be some consequences. Some trials come from disobedience. It's true. But some trials are spiritual trials. And Peter tells us not to be surprised. To Do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you. So some, some of this is a spiritual working uh, in our lives. And then some trials are mysterious. This is the most difficult. I mean, the, the, the problem is that there's simply no rationale to it. There's no logic to it because we all want to figure out, well, what, what did this thing come for? Why is it in my life? This is the kind of trial faced by Job, that his friends were convinced that uh, Job was facing the trials because he had sin in his life. And remember, uh, his wife was certain that it was God's fault. God was up to all of this, and God is up to no good. And Job, Job's just kind of held them all at bay and he asked all the right questions but he still through it all didn't have understanding of the whys of his trials and his suffering he didn't know so troubles invite themselves into every life and the troubles come in the variety pack and sometimes we understand why they're there we can understand that and then there are other times it's just a mystery why are they there these early followers needed to know that in spite of having lunch spewed all over them repeatedly, that they're going to find value and hope in the midst of all that they were going through. And that's the heart of James as he writes to them, that uh, I know what you're going through, but you're going to find hope and you're going to find strength in the midst of this. Secondly, troubles present an opportunity. Uh, How hard it is to tell someone who's going through a hard time that there's purpose in it all. Isn't that hard to do? Uh, Many of us have been coached to not try to comfort somebody who is really hurting with words like, oh, it'll all work out, you know, that all things work out. And I remember people saying it to me at one point when I was going through a very hard time, they'll say, oh, you'll just be fine. You'll just make it through. And I get their point, but I sure wasn't feeling that way because I was experiencing the pain at that moment. 
So this advice from James could have been hard to swallow, but remember, it's not being said to anyone in, in person. It's a general letter, and somehow James knew it was important to, to put it out there to say what he needed to say. So look at what he writes. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. Honestly, this seems really hard. It doesn't come naturally for me. Consider your trouble as an opportunity for great joy. Don't worry. Be happy. Is that, is that what you mean, James? Well, first, let's understand what it doesn't mean. James is not saying, strike up the band. Let's get happy because our guests called troubles are arriving. Open the front door with a big smile as these sneaky, unwelcome guests file into your home and say, Lord, I'm smiling. No, it's not that. It's not that. That's not keeping it real. What, I'm supposed to smile and my business partner just got ripped off? I just got news that my, my friend has cancer? I just discovered that my role at the company is, is being replaced and I'm no longer needed? No, it's not that. It's not that. It's not a pasted smile while inside we're crushed. It's better than that. It's an understanding that in the midst of all that's happening, God is there. He's not forsaken me. I don't necessarily understand all that he's doing, but I know who he is, and I'm sure he will take care of me. And that that trouble doesn't steal my joy, doesn't steal my relationship from my father. Uh, it, it's a number of years ago now that I had an opportunity to visit the Hollywood Presbyterian Church in Los Angeles. And I remember, as I love to, if you read books and, and you, you have an, an author there and he's the pastor of a church and you're in the city, it would be so neat to be able to meet or be in a service where that particular pastor is preaching on any given Sunday. And so that's what caused me to go to the Hollywood Presbyterian Church in Los Angeles. Lloyd John Ogilvy is a writer that I appreciate so much. And, and uh, it, was a, it was a joy to be able to see him uh, lead a worship service and deliver his sermon. Uh, he's, he's an amazing orator. Uh, he's a striking individual with, uh, you know, deep, deep voice and one of those guys where, where just without notes, his words are so well-placed and come out eloquently. I mean, don't you just despise those kind of people? Uh, but at great heart, Lloyd Ogilvy went through lots of stuff in his life. And he talked about one of his uninvited guests. He went through the worst year of his life. His wife had undergone five major surgeries plus radiation, plus chemotherapy. Several of his staff members, it's a large church, had resigned. They had huge problems in the church. And uh, he was absolutely discouraged. But here's what he said. The greatest discovery that I have made in the midst of all the difficulties is that I can have joy when I can't feel like it. Artesian joy. When I had every reason to feel beaten, I felt joy. In spite of everything, 
God gave me the conviction of being loved and the certainty that nothing could separate me from him. So it's not a happiness, gush, jolliness, but a constant flow of the Spirit through me. At no time, he said, did he give me the easy confidence that everything would work out as I wanted it on my timetable, but that he was in charge and he would give myself and my family enough courage for each day, grace, grace upon grace, and joy is always the result of that. It's kind of like what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 7.4, in all our, our affliction, I am overflowing with joy. How, how does that work? It's Paul and Silas in prison in Philippi after being severely flogged. And yet they have a joy in their hearts. They're singing at midnight. They're praising God. They're singing hymns to God. That's a joy that's from God. Isn't it an awesome joy? The joy of of being held. The sense that God has got me. God has got me in the midst of all of this. And so James says, consider it an opportunity for great joy. You'll discover something about God that you've never known before. That in the midst of all of this, he's there. And he's your rock. And he's your anchor. Thirdly, troubles have a purpose. Uh, James is going to talk about two purposes. One is short-term, immediate. And the other is longer-term, future, uh, a journey. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. Trials have a purpose. Trials have a purpose. I mean, if you get this one down, you will be far ahead of most people on the planet. The trials have a purpose. Troubles have a purpose. And there is an immediate result and there is an ultimate result. And this whole journey of troubles can help us achieve both results. First of all, an immediate result. What's the immediate result? Verse 3, for you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. The immediate result when we handle our troubles well is endurance. God just allows certain things to come our way that stretch us. And in that corner, God says, these are the things I want to teach you. I know who you are. These are the things I want to teach you. The first thing is endurance. He wants to develop that quality in all of us. It's amazing. That's that's a quality that's common to all of us that he wants to build. The translation of the word literally means to abide under, to abide under. You don't have to have resolve for the problem, but you're patient with it, and you're managing it. You're coping with it. You are abiding, not just surviving, but you're abiding. You're finding joy, the joy of the Lord, under the weight of that trouble. You're abiding under it. We would say to hang in there. Trials come to help us know how to hang in there when there's no answer that perhaps makes any sense to us. It's the testing of our faith that produces endurance. I mean, you could label it staying power. Some people say heroic endurance. Some just call it fortitude. Some just want to say it's toughness. You develop a toughness in your life. 
a toughness as you walk with the Lord. But uh, that's the thought. So, so what if your faith is never tested? Well, you never know how tough you are. If you never get tested, you'll never know how tough you are. Could you get in the ring with an experienced boxer and go 10 rounds with them? Well, who knows? I have a pretty good guess I couldn't. I know that. But we haven't been tested. We haven't been tested. How would you get to be a tough boxer? Well, by constantly being in the ring, one bout after another. If you did that for a living, you would get wiser and more skilled, and you would learn. You'd be able to take more punches. You would shrug it off and keep going because you're constantly being tested. You'd get better at it because the testing makes you stronger. There's no way a fighter or any one of us can develop testing or toughness without getting in the ring. We've got to get in the ring. That's the testing part. How did Paul get tough? He got tested lots. He was in the ring lots. How did Corrie ten Boom make it through all the stuff she had to face? And you read her story, it's just incredible what she went through. It was one test after another, after another, after another. Paul says it in Romans 5, 3, but we rejoice in our suffering knowing that suffering produces endurance. How do you get to be a stronger parent? Stick around your children and they'll test you. And as you pass one test after another, you get to be a parent that is strong and solid and clear in your parenting. And you don't even have to get angry to achieve it. You just get better because you've been through all the testing. You've been tested lots. And you get tougher. And you get better at it. How well do you know it? The butterflies know it. If you, if you think you're being helpful to a butterfly and say, oh, that looks like hard work getting out of that chrysalis, and you open it up so it can get out easily, you destroy its life. The butterfly was meant to struggle to liberate itself so it would have the strength to soar as it should. The butterfly needs the testing to get stronger. When staying power is lacking in one of God's children, James knows what God is up to. God is allowing that person's faith to be tested so they get stronger. So those tests come along our way. Those troubles come our way. And God has a wonderful capacity, if we cooperate, to use all the stuff that comes our way for our good. He's not the author of it, but he can use it. And our faith gets tested over and over again. Tests are actually servants intended to teach us. So tests come our way and they challenge us. They squeeze us until we get a little more patient, a little more accepting under the load. We're being approved. I mean, that's the meaning of the word testing, approved. You know, like uh, a furnace, uh, uh, a vessel, a clay vessel that you put in a furnace. And uh, if, if, they, if it goes through the fire without cracking the, the vessel, the vessel gets a stamp on it called approved. It's approved. That's what's happening to us in our journey. Another furnace experience made it through by the grace of God. Approved, approved, approved. Abiding under the load. That's the refiner's fire. That's the refiner's fire. So I just want to underscore again, however, that this is not the thought I'm going to endure if it kills me. 
I can do it. It's more the sense that what God wants to build into us an ability to be a, a, a winner, to be an overcomer, to, to abide under what's coming my way. So the troubles that come our way are making us stronger. We're getting tougher, and that's a good thing and something that's immediate. But there's a long-term result, and uh, it's, it's what God is actually moving us toward. He's moving all of us towards this long-term result. Here it is. So let it grow, for when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. What is God really wanting to do in our lives? He wants to bring us to a place where we're ah, perfect. You have to understand that meaning of that word, perfect and complete. Some translations say mature and complete. Perfect in the understanding of the Greek word teleos means, doesn't mean you have reached a level where you never sin again. Oh, no. Where you're completely perfect. You've hit the target. That's not keeping it real. We will always sin in this life, but we are coming into a place of wholeness. We're coming into a place of completeness. We're coming into a place of spiritual maturity. So, so complete means a maturing of character, a maturing of our character, a rounding out of, of who we are in Christ as all the various parts are added to us. The follower of Christ is putting together these pieces and they're coming together and we deal more effectively with the trials and troubles that come our way. We deal more effectively with the temptations and that come our way. We deal more effectively with disobedience in our lives. It's all coming together and it looks like maturity. Some have just taught that, that trials bring maturity, trials in themselves. Well, <laughs> we know that's not true. Trials or troubles don't bring maturity. Or otherwise, we'd have a lot of mature people in the world. It, it all depends on how you respond to those things that come to visit you. Troubles can cause you to turn away from God. They can cause you to be angry at God. They can cause you to be alienated from your family and your friends, and you say, if that's what it's all about, then I'm out of here. What is it that produces maturity? It's the perseverance that produces maturity. It's the endurance, it's the fortitude that comes with being tested that does a work in your life. And as we endure all those various kinds of troubles, <laughs> and they're, they're, they're multicolored, economic, stress, disappointments, criticism, domestic pressure, persecution for our faith, illness, all those things, and experiencing the grace of God in all of them, that God does a work of maturity. Dick Soom wrote, Life on earth would not be worth much if every source of irritation were removed. We're told that the oyster is wiser that when an ir irritating object like a bit of sand gets under the a mantle of his shell, he simply covers it with the most precious part of his being and makes of it a pearl. So every irritation that gets into our lives is an opportunity for pearl culture. I mean, and wouldn't you think that those troubles would lessen as the years go by because we're more experienced and we've, we've We've got some of those troubles under our belt and we, we know how to deal with them. 
Wouldn't you think that all those troubles would be visited upon the younger set? And maybe not only a little bit on the middle-aged set, and hardly anybody, any troubles on the senior set? <laughs> not true. It's not true. They come to all of us. You never know when. Uh, life will always be full of testings for the follower of Christ. Remember that trials are not a sign of God's displeasure, but they're an opportunity to persevere, to endure in the Lord. Someone years ago wrote a poem. It's anonymous, but I've loved it through the years. It goes this way. When God wants to thrill a man and thrill a man and skill a man, when God wants to mold a man to play the noblest part, when he yearns with all his heart to create so great and bold a man that all the world shall be amazed, watch his methods, watch his ways, how he ruthlessly perfects whom he royally elects, how he hammers him and hurts him and with mighty blows converts him into trial shapes of clay which only God understands. While his tortured heart is crying and he lifts beseeching hands, how he bends but never breaks when his good he undertakes, how he uses whom he chooses and which every purpose fuses him, by every act induces him to try his splendor out. God knows what he's about. God knows what he's about. How do we respond to the troubles that come our way? Well, uh, here's, a, here's a scriptural checklist. First of all, uh, verse 1, consider. When a trouble comes, troubles come your way, consider uh, what, what this is all about. Lord, what is this all about? What am I supposed to learn? David saw King Saul as a tool for his development. Most of us would say, well, King Saul is out of his mind and he, I don't have respect for him for a second. But David saw him as a growth opportunity. The second thing is in verse 3, for you know, you know, you know who God is. You know God loves you. And you know God wants the best for you. And the third thing is that the beginning of verse 4. So let it grow. In other words, cooperate with the trouble. Instead of, instead of hating God for the next 10 years, cooperate with what he's doing in your life. And say, God, have your will and your way in my life. Let's stand together as we pray. Father God, you know each of us. Ah, you brought us here today and you know our journey. You know the things that we deal with in our lives. Troubles, temptations. And your heart is always to mature us, to grow us up, to be more like Jesus Christ. Uh, sometimes, Lord, we feel like our progress is so limited are we any different this year than we were last year? Just, we pray, give us hearts to understand your love and that you're seeking us to be transformed into new people by changing the way we think, by changing the way we respond. So as we encounter troubles, Lord, that come our way, toughen us, give us that quality of endurance, uh, and shape us into the people that you want us to be. We pray in Jesus' name.